it is all too easy to make a mess in space. And so if you've got responsible actors in space, then all of that can be managed. If you wind up with a rogue adversary who really, who has the means to do it and is not really concerned about collateral effects, it is all too easy to make a mess in space. Space Watchers, I'm Emma, the editor-in-chief of Spacewatch Global, and this is a new episode of Space Cafe Radio, your radio channel dedicated to emerging trends and live conferences in the space sector. Today's episode is in partnership with the Secure World Foundation, a non-profit that focuses on the long-term sustainability of outer space and Earth orbits, as well as space security and stability considerations. This mini-series, composed of two episodes, wants to reinforce some of the nuances of the discussion held at this summit for space sustainability on why the brick-housing anti-satellite tests are so destabilizing. Today's guest is Tim McClay, the Chief Strategy Officer and U.S. General Manager at ClearSpace, an in-orbiting service and space debris company founded in 2018. Tim and I discuss his position about in-orbiting services and the challenges we might face pretty soon if we don't find a way to regulate access to space and decide to, to say with Tim words, stop making a mess of our orbit. As usual, listen up and enjoy it. Welcome, Space Watchers, and welcome back to another episode of Space Cafe Radio. Tim, welcome. Thank you very much for having me as a guest on Space Watch. It's a pleasure to be part of the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Let's get started. I want to open with a quote of yours, which I really liked. You mentioned it during the recent Secure World Foundation Summit in New York, and it says something on the line of, we are not really good at prevention. We tend to exploit our environments until the cost of exploitation outweighs the cost of stewardship. I really liked it. And maybe this is just the right sentence to start exploring with you, understanding the importance of in-orbiting services and debris management and in general, the general scope. Sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have a great track record for responsible environmental stewardship. We do tend to conduct activities without much regard for the environmental impacts they have until detrimental consequences become apparent and we start realizing the full costs associated with our activities. I think we're now at the stage in space development where the environmental cautions that we made years ago are beginning to materialize. We still have an opportunity to establish more responsible practices and work toward a more circular ecosystem in space, particularly with the introduction of in-orbit services like in-space transportation, there's manufacturing, assembly, disposal, inspection, repair, and even recycling. So it's a long list of services being developed all to support a growing infrastructure in space. Thank you very much. During the same meeting, you also said something very interesting. You say, we also spend an awful lot of time talking about SSA and STM as if this was the panacea, as it was the solution to the problem. I think I would like to clarify with you what is then the real problem? Because from this sentence, it seems that you think we are missing the real root cause and we just keep trying to put a band-aid, but we're not really addressing the right issue in the right way. Yeah, I think it, it's really easy to kind of fall into a pattern where we talk about 
things that that we can do and that are active on people's minds. So we tend to talk about space situational awareness and collision avoidance as as being the solution to the orbital debris problem. And certainly having better situational awareness and collision avoidance capabilities are absolutely necessary if we're going to operate safely, particularly in an increasingly congested environment. So in this sense, they're part of the solution, but they really don't do anything to address the fundamental problem. Um, Even the best SSA and collision avoidance capabilities we could devise will ultimately get overwhelmed if we never stabilize the environment. The fact is we continue to put things in orbit faster than we take them out. And whether you keep score in terms of numbers of objects or mass in orbit, the trend's the same. Growth is accelerating exponentially so rather than leveling off. Yeah, I was just reading, literally, we launched something like 50 satellites per week which is an incredible number. So if I understood correctly, the issue is that we have not regulated enough the amount of satellites we're launching. That jumps straight to a solution space of regulation and limiting the amount of activity that, that we conduct in space. And I don't think that's necessarily the only answer. I think if we're going to effectively mitigate the debris environment, there are really three fundamental pillars to managing orbital debris and ensuring a safe and sustainable environment. The first is just not making a mess deliberately or otherwise, right? And we often refer to that as debris mitigation. The second is cleaning up after ourselves or environmental remediation. And the third is the collision avoidance piece, navigating safely in the environment that remains. All of these activities are supported by space situational awareness, right? Measuring and understanding the environment that we're operating in. On the positive side, I think we're making really good progress in all of these areas. More than a dozen countries have now joined the U.S. in its commitment to not conducting direct ascent anti-satellite missile tests in space. ESA has launched its zero debris initiative and guidelines and standards are being modernized at national and international levels in recognition of today's challenges. With remediation, governments are investing in technologies needed for debris removal and other in-orbit services with programs across Europe, the UK, Japan, and the US. And in response, investment and entrepreneurial activity is ramping up with companies like ClearSpace, Astroscale, and many others. And finally, on the collision avoidance side of things, it's really becoming a key element in satellite operations across the board. Constellation companies like Iridium, OneWeb, Starlink, Kuiper, they've all been driving the state of the art in automation and coordination. And space situational awareness data that was once exclusively provided by the U.S. military is now being produced and offered commercially by private companies like Leo Labs. We are recognizing and responding to the challenges. We simply need to ramp up that momentum. I like the not making a mess as the first rule. Something that it seems we just keep ignoring. We really need to get better at that. Yeah, and it's... Frankly, it's easier and less expensive to not make a mess in the first place than it is to clean it up. That is true no matter what environment you're dealing with, whether it's your 
your kid's bedroom or the oceans or space, right? Very good point. So we discussed security in civilian terms, but safety, security, and stability are somehow all interconnected. So if we speak about military security, so we switch a bit to the military sector, do you think that we can actually protect our asset in space? Yeah, the connections are very real, and that's a great question. This is particularly relevant given the ongoing escalations of international tension and the recent public recognition of space as another warfighting domain. To some extent, I think the challenges of preserving one's own military capabilities and denying those of one's adversaries are the same in space as they are in other domains, but there are some really major differences in the operating environments and in the physics involved. So first, free access to space is a principal tenet of the Outer Space Treaty. And with orbital closing speeds exceeding 22,000 miles an hour, it's really difficult to set up a protective perimeter for your military assets. To complicate matters, an incoming threat can't really be neutralized simply by shooting it if you obliterate a sizable object in orbit. It creates thousands of lethal fragments that remain in orbits for years or decades or even centuries, depending on the altitude of the event. It doesn't simply fall out of the sky, sink to the bottom of the ocean, or drop to the ground as it might in other domains. General Shaw, Deputy Commander of the U.S. Space Command, has talked pretty candidly in recent interviews about the need for a different doctrinal approach to assuring military resilience in space. Unconstrained mobility is really high on his list of priorities for military assets, and I think the in-space transportation, refueling, the inspection and characterization, and the secure disposal types of services that in-orbit service that the in-orbit service community is developing are all going to wind up being of, of pretty strong interest. Going back to the issue of having an effective debris mitigation strategy and what you mentioned before, the extreme fast growth of the space economy sector, of the enormous amount of lunches we are having every week, this is all creating a very fragile environment. One of the most relevant piece of information that we have is that we know that not all the companies, the private companies launching in space today, will be commercially alive in five or ten years' time. So what's going to happen to all the satellite launched by companies that in 10 years time are going to be out of business like who's going to pay for the debris that they left behind yeah i think that question really applies more broadly to all objects left in orbit regardless of whether the owner is still in business or not compliance with disposal guidelines has been a challenge all along but i don't think bankruptcy necessarily poses a particular crisis commercial licensing provisions most often includes some sort of assurance for proper handling of space hardware, even in the event of bankruptcy. And in fact, many companies have gone in and out of bankruptcy. And I can't think of a single example of hardware simply being abandoned in orbit as a result. Usually there are provisions for maintaining operations and disposal, even in the event of bankruptcy. But I suppose we still need to think about a path to somehow commercial viability, correct? Commercial viability of the industry as a whole? The private sector, of these private companies. 
Sure. It's a very entrepreneurial and frankly, a very business risky domain to be launching services and, and, and applications. I think you're going to find investment coming and going. The industry tends to go in cycles. And at the moment we're in a, we're in a tough fundraising cycle, but the activity has never been higher. There are a lot of people proposing new things in space. Some of those companies will succeed and others will not. We're absolutely going to see some consolidation across the board as we go. And I know you touched upon this topic just before, but I want to go back to this point. In your opinion, can we sustain such an intense launching rhythm from so many commercial companies? And I mean it from a debris point of view, of course. Yeah, I think that's really a crystal ball question. We'll find that out as we go along. I think this is a really exciting time for the space industry and new science and services are materializing all the time. Whether we can do this sustainably really depends on how we go about it and whether we're willing to recognize the full life cycle costs associated with our activities. So we'll see. So what does Clear Space see as the biggest challenges to space security and stability at the moment? Yeah, I think there are a few. On the domestic or the non-military side, I think there that that international coordination and the establishment of new norms and how we deploy systems is is still a materializing conversation and poses a challenge. So who gets to launch what and where? How do you do that coordination internationally? Do we need to allocate orbits or can we just keep putting things up wherever we need to put them? On the military side, there is this subtle drumbeat of war in space that is getting louder. And that would be an all-out conflict, a physical conflict in space would be an incredibly destabilizing event for sure. I completely agree with you. Orbit coordination is a word that is mentioned more and more in in our environment. So definitely something that I can foresee is going to be a challenge. And then this potential war or military tension between countries is, of course, a very challenging situation for peace in space, for space sustainability, definitely. It is all too easy to make a mess in space. And so if you've got responsible actors in space, then all of that can be managed. If you wind up with a rogue adversary who really, who has the means to do it and is not really concerned about collateral effects, it is all too easy to make a mess in space. Yeah, especially if if there are countries that are more dependent than others from space. So what's the road ahead, Tim? Which are the milestones you think we should set in place to reach this equilibrium that you were mentioning before, this necessity to try to don't make a mess of space? Yeah, I'm not sure these are really milestones as much as they are maybe just a progression of activities. But I really think we need to get back to the basics and just focus on the basic elements of debris debris management and environmental management which are don't create intentionally create debris try not to explode don't run into stuff and get out of orbit when you're done and i think if we do a better job with these we'll be okay thank you very much and have a lovely summer you too 
If you want to keep the pulse of the space industry, please visit our website at www.spacewatch.global. Subscribe to our newsletters, and of course, don't forget to become a space watcher. I'm Emma Gatti, Editor-in-Chief of Space Watch Global, your independent perspective on space. See you next time. Ciao.